0: Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the Wellness Manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR. And I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. Today, I am excited to have with us Louise Krall, who is the Human Resources and Community Engagement Director at Employee and Family Resources. Welcome to Emotion Well, Louise. Thank you, Johanna. So I was wanting to do an episode for Emotion Well that related to cancer survivorship and When I was thinking about who I could have come on this episode to talk, I immediately thought about Louise because Louise will tell you her story about being a two-time cancer survivor. And what fascinates me about Louise is how positive and socially connected and engaged she stayed during her cancer treatment and continues to um, remain connected to a lot of the people who lifted her up during that time. So Louise, tell us a little bit about yourself beyond what I just said, (laughs) and we'll get started. Well, from a cancer
1: perspective, first of all, I'm, I'm HR director. I've worked at EFR for a couple well, of 10 years. And um, I am, as Johanna said, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. In 2010, I had cervical cancer, which was a very minor blip. I, I almost don't even remember that I, had, that I had that cancer. I have to remind myself because uh, I just simply had a, a, a surgery and I went through no chemo and no radiation and no nothing. Uh, it was a very different story in 2015 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had a uh, stage two breast cancer, and that is because it had moved to one of it had moved into my lymph nodes. So that when you have that type of diagnosis, that means that you not only have the pleasure of chemo, you also get to have radiation. And then, um, I chose to have a double mastectomy, although the cancer was just in one breast. And then I went through reconstruction. So I finished up all of my treatment in, uh, and, um, surgeries by, January of 2017 was the duration, so it was a pretty long. Uh, it was a, a pretty long uh, episode, I guess is what I would I would call, I would call For sure. it. Sure, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So let's kind of go back to your cancer diagnosis in 2015. So Louise is. Uh, a wife and a mother. She has two daughters who are adults now, but at the time uh, one of them was not an adult. So um, like, let's walk back to like just that whole um, time period in your life and how you decided to address that with your family. Because I think that's a really important thing for people to hear about is, you know, how do you share with the people that you're the closest to and the people that you love the most, you know, what, what you've been diagnosed with and what this diagnosis means.
1: Right. Well, first of all, you're yourself, myself, I was fearful. I mean, it it doesn't, um, it, it's, it's a scary time. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids were a junior and senior in high school. And so I had a lot of, Oh, just great sadness, especially about my, my daughter that was a senior in high school that this was going to be, you know, I was diagnosed in September, the beginning of her school year. Mm-hmm. This was going to be a year that was going to be about me and my struggle versus you know you know how teenagers yeah. are it should be about them and i i'm a mom and i wanted it all to be about i wanted it to be about about her so uh you know how you how you tell them i i think i don't know that i did it right or wrong we just we we told them our kids uh they both uh Processed the cancer diagnosis treatment in a very different way. The oldest, the senior, was uh, very hands-on, went to almost all my chemotherapy treatments. wow. Was very helpful in some, you know, like, uh, care of, you know, you know, uh, like, self-care that made it hard for me to, that was sometimes hard for me to Mm -hmm. do. And um, my uh, junior at the time Distance herself. She was almost like I had the plague. She would kind of look in on it, um, you know, from afar. But in, in the end, I knew that she was listening and that she cared. Um, but it just is really interesting how how they process it differently. Uh, you know, those hard calls like calling your friends and family and telling them, you know, you really have to go through that emotion each and every time because People handle it differently in a different way, and my methodology was: uh, let's take action, let's get the best people on my team, and let's figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna how we're gonna move forward. I have a genuine positive outlook on life, so I never in my head I was fearful, but never in my head would I let myself go to a dark place. And I think that is a gift that I have and I don't know that I could pass that gift on to everybody that has cancer. Yeah, and not
0: everyone has that optimistic outlook. Right. And I don't have any specific, you know, study or research information uh, to cite at the moment but I, I know I've encountered it through reading about cancer and cancer treatment and cancer survivorship and that people that, have a positive attitude. It's not going to guarantee that you will survive your cancer, but it definitely makes a difference in terms of your outlook on, on life. And as you go through that treatment, you know, you just, your general attitude um, about the process. So I don't know, like I remember my mom telling me when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was in my twenties at the time, I was of course really sad for my mom, but selfishly I wondered what that meant for me. And so as a mom, did that go through your head, too, is what does this mean for my daughters? Oh,
1: so much. Yeah. Uh, and I think what you're getting to is like the long term, long term effects of of what does it mean for our daughters? Like, for instance, the younger one has said to me, I just always I, I fear, mom, that I'm going to have cancer, that I just fear that that is my lot in life that that's just always that that's something that i'm always going to have to be on the lookout for and so we've had both both the girls we've had both very frank discussions mm-hmm. about this is what your life is going to be like mm-hmm. you will need to be vigilant around self-detection because now you have you have this uh this diagnosis in yeah. your history yeah that you can't ignore and so uh, like it or not you know their blinders are off and they're educated and they will go about their life and know that that's something they're always going to have to be on the lookout for.
0: And I was doing a little research about breast cancer specifically for this podcast, and I found at breastcancer.org that uh, 85% of breast cancers actually occur with no family history. Wow. And so did you have a family history of breast cancer? No. I had a family history of cancer, but the cancers that
1: were were in my family were all related to smoking. Mm -hmm. And me being a non-smoker... I, yeah. you know, you just kind of think, well, I'm, I'm not going to get those, yeah. but
0: yeah, so, I didn't get
1: those. I got other things.
0: <laughs> according to the same website, and I'll include this information in the show notes, one in eight women in the United States, which is 12% will be diagnosed with Uh, breast cancer and next to skin cancer it's the number one diagnosed cancer with women so skin cancer is more commonly diagnosed with Mm -hmm. women um, but breast cancer falls second so you've had this diagnosis Uh, i'm guessing then you put together a care team Mm -hmm. you know your oncologist Uh, what else comprised your care team
1: um you know it's emotional care i think i think people really wanted to know how they could help me and um one of my friends Jill came forward and she said you know Louise I've seen other people really benefit from um oh I forget it it's like a meal train I think yeah. was I feel I think that was called and she said would you like you know would that be something that you would like and it was oh, it's a blessing to somebody to ask you what she would want and versus you know just tell me what you want right it was this is what i've seen other people find helpful and would you like that and, um, you know, discussing it with my husband. Yes. So my chemo days were Wednesdays and we always had meals delivered on Wednesdays. So it'd be one thing nice. that I did not have to worry about. Um, I didn't have to worry about The other thing is, you know, my spouse was very uh, a, cr- a critical piece in this because I'm the, I'm the mom and I do the typical mom things. I love to cook and it's not, it's nothing that I ever uh, looked as a burden in our, in our relationship, but I had to relinquish the control. Yeah. And being a control freak that is um that was something that was very hard for me to to do. So he was very much a part of my care team and being very okay, you're going to have to let go of of certain things. And so that was that was I'd say a a, a a really tough mm-hmm. reality for yeah. me for 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 me in many ways yeah
0: so I mean life goes on but we're gonna have to change the way we do life because yeah. You yeah. know things aren't going to work yeah. exactly the yeah. same that's yeah. a good point yep. so tell me about above and beyond cancer because one uh thing that I know about you is that you got very involved with above and beyond mm-hmm. cancer and continue to be involved with abc as you call it uh and so I want you to share with our listeners what that organization is and maybe how you can get involved with it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd say the the first and foremost, one thing that I noted, uh, I I listened to all all the people on my care team. And one of the person that was really important to me was the nutritionist. Okay. And you have the opportunity when you go through chemo, you have the opportunity to meet with a nutritionist. And my nutritionist gifted me with a book that um, was written by a three-time uh, cancer survivor. So that caught my, that piqued my interest. And it was things about, you know, kind of what to eat and what not to eat. You know, so so my diet consists of organics and, and a lot of things. But one of the things that really, really stuck out from uh, this book, and I, I I didn't keep it, I I moved, I paid it forward and gave it to another cancer survivor. But what stuck out for me is this woman said, if I had to do it all over again, and again, three times, the third time I got involved in a support group. Okay, And she said it was a game changer for me. And so I I thought to myself, well, there has to be something to that. There really has to be something to that. So I started going to there's a a group here in Des Moines and I it's affiliated with local hospital called, um, I think, Life Beyond Cancer. And it's it's a specific breast cancer group. Okay, And excuse me. (coughs) So I started going to that group. And it was a wealth of knowledge. But one of the things um, that became that wealth of knowledge was learning about above and beyond cancer. And you get also in your journey, you get assigned. At least here in here in Iowa, we you get assigned a cancer navigator, and it's a, a nurse navigator, somebody who knows about about cancers. It's not just breast cancers, mm-hmm. but all kinds of cancers. And what are the things that you have? you know, at your disposal. So it could be like getting a wig or it could be, you know, in my case, you know, it was learning about this above and beyond cancer. And so you need a medical release to be able to participate in this program. And so I had always been active and I had a YMCA membership. And, uh, you know, the one of the people in this this uh, the breast cancer group said you know what you really ought to check out this above and beyond cancer and so you know I looked at the schedule and through her you know kind of through her endorsement she said it's really kind of a nice group and I remember I uh, I had always been active but during chemo um, I battled uh, neuropathy which is you know numbness in my hands and and um you know numbness and and just not a little bit off balance Mm -hmm. and i thought how am i going to get myself back on track with exercise and so this spin class i'd done spin you know like cycling a spin class you know stationary cycling there's no really hard it's really hard to fall off of that so i thought that would be a super easy way to get back to it so the very first day that i walked into that i had i had finished chemo uh you know, I'd say like the barriers that I faced were, you know, the hurdles that you face and in, in walking through that door is, you know, I got a, I had a bald head at that time. Mm-hmm. I wore a wig to work every day and how, what am I going to work out in? I didn't want to work out in that wig. So, you know, just thinking about, I remember going to, to a local sports store and getting, you know, a, the biggest bandana that I could possibly find that was like workouty, And um, so anyway, I walked through the door and um I found myself a cycle as I've done, you know, many times. And what was so great about this Above and Beyond Cancer group is that it combines uh the cycling, so the exercise, where it's led by a local uh, and the founder of Above Beyond Cancer, Dr. Deming, where he says at the start of the class, you go at your own pace, you do what you can do. Mm-hmm. And um there were people there in that in that room that struggled with mobility, as in um came in uh not in a wheelchair, but you know, visibly having somebody mm-hmm. help them with a walk or walk in and got them on a got them on a, a cycle. There uh, there was a woman at the time who had an a limb, her her left arm that didn't that was immobile that she had to kind of flop up on, you know, on the handlebar. So it put things in perspective around Geez, things could always be worth and worse. And boy, am I one lucky, one lucky person that mm-hmm. I get to come here and I get to do this. Yeah. So and and um so the other part of that is there was a social part. And from the very minute there were people that came up to me and said, you know, hi, introduced themselves to me and said, you know, welcome me to the group. And um, I just felt very welcomed and I felt like I found this perfect mix of social and and exercise and it's been a part of my routine. Um, yeah, and so ever you're since. still involved with the group. Yes. And yep. so
0: tell me a little bit about so you. Consider yourself a cancer survivor. And I think once we had talked about what it means to be a survivor and when when can you give yourself that label? And so tell me a little bit about or please share what Dr. Deming had said to you when you had asked. I think you had asked him that question.
1: Actually, my it was actually not Dr. Deming's definition, but it's it's um my oncologist. So I'd asked my oncologist what um I said, you know, Brad, when do I get to call, like, tell me when, you know, when do I get to call myself a survivor? And his words of wisdom wisdom was, you call yourself a survivor whenever you are a survivor. And um, and so I, like, I felt very comfortable to call myself a survivor once I was done with with radiation. So that meant that I'd gone through chemo, I'd had my double mastectomy, and I'd finished radiation. Okay. And I'd been on Um, The other part of it, you get to you get the great privilege of being on a drug for 10 years That's an after, you know, kind of after treatment, after treatment chemo drug that Mm -hmm. you stay on for 10 years. And it's it's meant to keep cancer, the cancer away. Yeah.
0: Is there anything you do to help manage the anxiety you might have around your yearly screenings? I know that's something that Mm -hmm. my mom always kind kind of keeps them like quiet until she's had it and gets the everything's good because I. I know every year I'll get the message from my mom, like I had a mammogram today and everything was fine. And my mom's cancer is also stage two. Uh, She had a lumpectomy versus a mastectomy. But, you know, her, I mean, we're just thankful that she had her mammogram when she had it because the cancer was so small that you couldn't palpate it through a breast self exam. But it was apparent in the MRI and it had already spread to her lymph nodes. And so, you know, we're just thankful of the timing, like if the mammogram would have been a couple months yeah. earlier or a couple months later it yeah. could have changed it, it could have been a game changer yeah. so do you feel anxiety and you know when yes. you okay that's normal <laughs> that's an easy that's yeah. an easy question and yes. so can you just talk a little bit about how you manage that or what you do to kind of keep yourself in perspective and in check you know
1: what i have really tried my my one piece of advice is to not worry about it until you have something to worry about and It's great advice uh, uh, for anything in life. Yes, it, yeah. it is. Yeah, it, but it, there's so many in your there's situation. There's so many. There's so many applications. But I would be lying to you to tell you that I don't have anxiety about it. And you know, there's a certain amount of when you first when you finish your you know your rounds of treatment, they have you come in every three months, and so you're getting this blood work every three months, and so you have this. You know, it's just like feeding your. You know, you're, oh, I'm winning this game. I'm winning this Mm -hmm. game. And then after a year, then you go to every, I think every six months and you're every six months for actually, for actually quite, I've been every six months, even though I'm almost two years out or four years out, Mm -hmm. I've been every six months for quite a while. And I was supposed to come in. Um, this very last this very last time, and I said, you know what? I was having some neuropathy symptoms, and then they said to me, I was supposed to go a year out, and they said, why don't we keep you at six months? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I do not mind this at all. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things to have that that check in, and they mm-hmm. monitor you by your blood work. So it's so it's a really simple, it's a really simple test, mm-hmm. and it just feels darn good mm-hmm. to have that feedback that things are that things are okay. Yeah,
0: and I think for. Our listeners, women listening who, um, you know, if you've had a breast cancer diagnosis, I would imagine you're on some kind Mm -hmm. of regular screening plan and please stick with it. You know, if you are not, I think it's really important to always update your physician with any family history, anything that's changed, Mm -hmm. because. What I've noticed, I'm in my late 30s now, and I've already had a couple of mammograms and an MRI for my breast because I have a lot of women in my family who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, thankfully, they have all survived breast cancer, but they've been diagnosed with it. And then I have extremely dense breasts. And mm-hmm. so for me, I don't fall into those standard guidelines that you would, you know, come up with in a Google search, like when should I have my first mammogram? And so I think for anyone listening, you know, do some investigation in your family. It might not be someone who's a first generation relative or first degree relative. I don't know what the term is there exactly that they use, but it could be, you know, an aunt that you didn't know that had breast cancer or a great aunt or, you know, someone just get your family history and communicate that um, when you go in for your annual exam, because, Screenings can save lives Mm -hmm. and knowing what kind of screening you need. And especially if you do have
1: dense breasts. That is a dif- that's a differentiator, the mm-hmm. type of screening that you need to do uh, here in Iowa. There is there's a very active group who've done really great work in getting uh, legislation changed to, to be able to say that to be able to tell women when they have dense breasts to tell them that mm-hmm. so they know that they fall into a not a higher risk per se, but a higher uh, it's. Harder to detect, harder cancer, to detect yeah. the cancer. So it it puts you, it should put you on a, an area of heightened alert because it's just harder to detect. Yeah, and I think knowledge is power, and this is one of those things. If you know that about your, you know, about your breast tissue, you're just smart. You're just smarter in the long run. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the trip you took with Above and Beyond Cancer. Yeah,
1: so uh, in last last year in two thousand and nineteen, I took a trip with Above and Beyond Cancer with almost forty uh, cancer survivors and cancer caregivers, and it was to the Rocky Mount Rocky Mountains. And we did um, we trained for the we trained um, all spring and summer long. And uh, we did three separate hikes and the elevation was around 13 to 1400, 1400 feet. So we all, um, we all had different, we, we all had different diagnoses. Not everybody had breast cancer. While you would say with statistically, there were of the women there, there were more people that mm-hmm. more women there that had breast cancer. That is a very common, uh, is a very common cancer group, but it's everyone. And, and I think that, you know, the people that inspire me are the people who we had people who were actively on chemo that they um that they are still getting out there and doing it. And I the reason I um I really love this group is that I feel that you know I'm I'll disclose that I'm 55 and I'm not watching life from the sidelines. I think that that is um that is a, a tremendous gift that I have a great amount of involvement and you would I don't think you'd be amazed, but I would just share with you that I probably was amazed at the deep and amazing friendships that you can make with these people who have this common bond of this really kind of nasty thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we all have All of us who had the shared experience in Colorado, one of the common things that we've noted is that it was definitely a silver lining, Mm -hmm. is that if you um, can find something good in in something that was really, you know, ultimately a a pretty pretty devastating and and, and not so fun diagnosis, it would definitely be the friendships. And uh, these are people that I... You know, I would obviously trust with my life and we're planning on doing more. You know, we have we have more adventures planned. We we you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to stop. I talked with somebody um, we were training to do the um, the climb, the the air climb. Mm -hmm. And one of the two women they're going to do. What's the Spanish uh, walking thing? Um, I don't don't know. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, they're going to Spain and they're walking a, a, oh. a long distance together. Oh, nice. So that's a nice follow up. Yeah. Again. Oh, shoot. I'll help. I
0: remember that. Very cool. But anyway, Yeah. So I want you. You shared so much about your own personal uh, story and, and I really appreciate that. But I want to switch your cap now over to yeah. you as... A human resources director right so when I was preparing for this podcast I actually got the I got the this idea I picked up a WebMD magazine one one time at a doctor's office many months ago and I'll link to it in our show notes and there was an article that I thought was really interesting and it was all about you know you've been diagnosed with cancer now what for the workplace because 46% of people with cancer are of working age which uh, in this particular article they said ages 20 to 64 of cancer survivors have work related limitations Mm -hmm. and 69% of cancer survivors say that their work routine helped them throughout Mm -hmm. their cancer journey. So from now, kind of that workplace perspective, you know, you tell your family, you tell your closest friends, what about the workplace? So as an HR director, You know, what kind of wisdom would you share with people who are struggling with what do I share? How much do I share? What do I need to know from my care team in anticipation of sharing this information?
1: Right. Right. I I would just I would just say that every cancer diagnosis is going to be different. Mm -hmm. But in general, um, you should ask your doctor what to expect. Um, If you work at an employer that is has 50 or more employees, you're most likely Uh, in a a radius that you're most likely going to want to apply for FMLA and get that job protection. So that's something I I view as very important. But you're going to choose, you know, once you have that FMLA protection, you're going to choose what you want to share and what you don't want to share. What I loved about, you know, what my boss asked me was... And what I recommend to other leaders is ask the employee, "What do you want to share? Um, you know, what is you know what is your choice? You can leave it as Louise is going to be out of the office, or you can say, you know, Louise has has breast cancer. It's it's really what what your choice up to is. the employee. So my choice was I was going to be going undergoing some very physical changes with losing my hair. And, um, you know, just in general, in general, probably not looking my rosy self every, every day of the week. And, uh, so, so I, but I also, I'm, I, it was my choice, but I i wanted people to know. And I'm very grateful for the choice because I had so many people say to me, you know, I kept a caring bridge, which is where you can, you know, kind of blog, update your status. Update your status yeah. So people have a place. So you're not repeating your story each and every yeah. time. But people, you know, I shared that with people and people thought that um, I had so many colleagues, you know, from our, my current employer and also previous ones that noted, you know, hey, they were rooting for me. And, and you know, that meant... Um, it, it meant the world to me. So again, think about what your you know, kind of what your treatment mm-hmm. holds while every cancer is different. There are some generalities. Um, I did choose to work during my, um, you know, during my, uh, my treatment and it was, it was, it, it kept my, it kept my wheels on mm-hmm. and, um, I, you know, but that what might not be the right choice for you. I yeah. had no nausea um, and I know other people battle that to a great extent so they couldn't even try to be in the office. Yeah. So um, the other thing that that I was grateful for and, and something to keep in mind um, is thinking about the other people that you work with, could you work from home? because you are also very susceptible to catching, some sort of infection yeah. infections. And um, my colleagues were very generous about if they they didn't come around me if they were in any way sick. And so when you know, I have a I have a people job, you know, where I, yeah. where I and and that's the part I like about my job. Uh but but you know I'm that's those same people that I I really, really enjoy could cause me could have caused right. me you have a to great, protect yourself. Could have caused me a great deal of harm. So there were times when I did work from home when it, when it made more sense,
0: when it made more sense, but, but you just have to, you have to think about what you want to communicate. Every cancer diagnosis and treatment plan is going to be different and every workplace is going to be different. So the article, which, uh, which talks about this, you know, it just had some some different things to consider how much t- to ask your care team. So, how much time will I uh, need for my surgery, my recovery, any chemo or radiation? What are immediate side effects? What are some predictable side effects? Um, and how will they affect my ability to do my job? Mm-hmm. And so, if you're someone who has been diagnosed with cancer and you are trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to make this work uh, while working, those are some good questions to ask your care team. and. Also, some good things to talk to your leader about or your human resources director right. about. I will link to this article because I, th- I thought it was a really great resource. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we don't think of, about all facets of life when we hear that someone has been diagnosed with cancer. We yeah. maybe think about, oh, you know, I wonder how that's going to affect their family or right. their children. Um, but we might not think about how that's going to affect their ability you know, to and work. And the other
1: thing is compensation. I mean, how yes. how am I going to pay my bill? You know, how am I right. going to pay my bills? Those are all you know. Talk to your you know your HR person, whoever handles that, if they have that former role or not. But talk to them about do you have short term disability? These mm-hmm. are these are real issues. <laughs> these are real issues to face. I was lucky that I had PTO to cover it, mm-hmm. but some
0: people. Um, are, are not so because, lucky. you know, that's just going to make an already stressful situation yes. much more stressful. Yes, so very much so. Well, Louise, it's been a delight to have you uh, on our show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, at EFR, we provide a lot of resources for individuals. Uh, and it could be that you have a cancer diagnosis. It could be that you know someone who has. So if you need to reach out to EFR or if you know you have our EAP benefit, don't hesitate to reach out. Our number is 800-327-4692 life happens, EFR is here to help. Thank you so much, Louise. Thank you.